Bible and the Bishop. Hello, my name is Farron Glenfield. I'm the Church of Ireland Bishop of Kilmore, Elfin and Arda. And I've been reading the Bible since my teenage years, a half century ago. Since then, I've studied the Bible as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as a student at the university and as a Christian pastor. I believe the Bible is God's word written. So in this series of the Bible and the Bishop, I would like us to consider the book of Psalms, which is found in the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament. Today we are looking together at Psalm 8, the second in our series of explorations in the book of Psalms from the Old Testament. We begin as I read Psalm 8, using a 21st century translation of the Bible, the English Standard Version. You may want to follow the text in your own Bible. Psalm 8. To the choir master, according to the Githith, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths and babes and infants, you've established strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honour. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, or sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, and whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. At the top of the psalm, the heading of the psalm, you will read these notes. To the choir master, according to the Githith, a psalm of David. What is this? This is what is known as the superscription or heading. Of the 150 psalms, 117 have these headings, which are part of the text in the Hebrew Bible. In Psalm H, the headings contain Two kinds of information. First, liturgical notes to the choir master, according to the Githith. And secondly, a note about the author, a psalm of David. Remember the psalms were used in liturgical worship in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And so the choir master was in charge of the singers who oversaw the music in the temple. This note to the choir master, is attached to 55 psalms, including here in Psalm H. What about according to the Githith? It's less obvious what this means. Githith means winepress in Hebrew, and it's also the feminine version of a coastal city of the Philistines, Gath, in Israel. There are three possibilities as to the meaning of this obscure note. One, it refers to the vintage of wine brought to the temple at the Harvest Festival, the Festival of Tabernacles. Or two, 
It refers to the act of the covenant's journey from the Gittith's house to Jerusalem, recounted in the second book of Samuel, chapter 6 and verse 11. Or, lastly, with the Chun, which took its name from the city of Gath. The note about the author in Psalm 8 is much less obscure. A Psalm of David. 73 Psalms, nearly half of the collection of the Psalter, are attributed to David. David and the Psalms go together like hand in glove. In the Old Testament, David is described as the initiator of the Psalms. Indeed, a whole chapter of the first book of Chronicles, chapter 16, is given over to David's leading role in the use of the Psalms in worship. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, David is referred to as the sweet psalmist of Israel, the second book of Samuel, chapter 23 and verse 1. David lived about a thousand years before Christ. Like Jesus, he was born in Bethlehem, which came to be known as the city of David, which is near Jerusalem in Judah or Judea. He was the eighth son of Jesse. By upbringing, they were farmers, and he was a shepherd boy, who was a gifted musician and poet. He was also a considerable warrior. The David and Goliath story is still told and played out in our secular world today. David was chosen and anointed by God as king of Israel, the people of God. The line of kings after David the Davidic dynasty, lasted for nearly 500 years. David is one of the most significant figures in the story of God and his people told in the Bible. Moving from the heading notes to the text of the psalm, Psalm H itself, have you noticed something about the opening and ending of the psalm? The lines... O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, are repeated in the opening verse, verse 1, and in the closing verse, verse 9. This repetition is called an inclusio, or envelope structure, which packages the psalm a bit like a sandwich. Two pieces of bread, top and bottom, wrapping a filling. Psalm 8 is what is known as a song of praise. There are a number of them in the Psalter. And the basic form of these songs of praise is very simple. There is an opening invitation to praise here in Psalm 8, 8, verse 1. And then reasons for praise in Psalm 8, second part of verse 1, down to verse 8. And then there is the repetition or recapitulation of the invitation of praise in the final verse in Psalm 8, verse 9. The songs of praise ordinarily refer to God in the third person, rather than addressing God directly as in prayer. But here in Psalm 8, David addresses God directly. David's opening and closing invitation to praise in verses 1 and 9 set the tone for the whole of the psalm. In the opening verse, verse 1, David uses the divine name for God, Yahweh, 
which is translated Lord. He then goes on to say, Yahweh, our Lord, and he uses another term for God, Adonai, which can be translated Lord, Master, Governor, Sovereign, Ruler. Notice it's our Lord. For God's people have been brought into a relationship with God through God's initiative with David's ancestor, Abraham, the man of faith, the covenant. People of faith in whatever generation can address God as our Lord. It is an individual and a communal reality. Your name, O Lord, David says, is majestic, variously translated as excellent, glorious, or brilliant in all the earth. It is as if David is saying to God, yours is a household name throughout all the earth. The opening lines of Psalm 8 is an invitation, a celebration of praise. What are the reasons David gives for praising God? There are three which David rehearses in the main body of the psalm, this psalm, Psalm 8, verses 1b to 8. This is called filling in our sandwich. 1. God's strength in verses 1b to 2. Dale Ralph Davies, an American Old Testament scholar, draws attention to the irony of God's strength in these verses. Irony being the unexpected connection between things or the factors which combine in odd or unusual ways. Here David throws up the gurgling of small babies and the babbling childish talk of toddlers, drowning out the enemy, silencing God's foes. Think of the cutest baby you know and the strongest hulk. It's no contest when it comes to strength. But the point is, whatever seems inconsequential overwhelms what is mighty in God's eyes. With all the earth and heaven praising God in the first part of verse 1, the rising discord of foes and enemies presents a challenge which God meets with what is weak in the world, in this case, babies and toddlers. God's strength is seen in apparent weakness and recurs again and again in the Bible and supremely in the life of Jesus, David's greater son. Matthew, in his account of Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem in the final week of his earthly life, draws on this, this deep irony that God's strength is displayed in apparent weakness. Jesus, you recall, was acclaimed and by welcoming crowds with shouts of praise, it was a real royal welcome. Jesus' opponents, his foes, The religious elite were indignant of what was going on in Jerusalem and particularly in the temple, that most sacred place, where children were running about and shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. And so they took Jesus to task. Do you hear what these children are saying? 
Jesus replied, yes, I hear them. And haven't you read in God's word, from the mouths of children and babies, I will furnish a place of praise. The quote is taken from Psalm 8, of course. God is praised for his strength displayed in apparent weakness. Secondly, God is to be praised for his care in verses 3 and 4. Let me read them. When I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? God's care has cosmic dimensions. On a clear night, David could see with the naked eye up to 2,500 stars. We probably see much less due to air and light pollution. And yet there are between 100 to 4 billion stars in the Milky Way, which itself is one of the 100 million galaxies in our universe. The vast scale of space is mind-numbing. Yet according to David, God, the cosmic craftsman, has assembled and established the astronomical order. Poetic language, the cosmic bodies are God's handiworks, as Eugene Peterson paraphrases as this, the stars are God's handmade sky jewellery. There are two things we need to consider here. First, the Bible writers understand God as the creator and sustainer of the earth and the cosmos. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. God created the heavens, the cosmos, and the earth. And two, the Bible writers often deploy anthropomorphism to describe God and his works. That is, human-like attributes. So here in Psalm 8, God uses fingers to craft space. Elsewhere in the Bible, God has a face, a mouth, arms and legs and so forth. It's a way of using language to describe the indescribable. The point David is making in Psalm 8 is that God made the cosmos. He is in our thinking, the CEO, the chief executive officer of the universe. And in verse 4, David turns from the vastness of space to the puny little self. What is man? What a pertinent question. For our contemporary culture is obsessed by identity. Who am I? Our modern world has answered this pertinent question in so many ways. Charles Darwin said that man is an animal, the naked ape. Sigmund Freud taught that man is a spoiled child. Karl Marx believed man to be an economic factor. Richard Dawkins says humans are just gene machines. The biblical response to the question, what is man, whom am I, is consistent. According to the Bible, 
we are made in the image of God in Genesis 1. Humans are not self-explanatory. We are defined images. We reflect God. We are not autonomous beings. What is man, David asks, that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Why, God, do you bother with us? Why take a second look our way? The answer is plain from Scripture. People matter to God. God is mindful. He cares because we are made in his image. God cares. In these two verses, verses 4 and 5, David holds together the astronomical vastness of the cosmos which God has created and his individual care of each person. What a perspective. The CEO of the universe knows and cares for you and for me. Now think of the world's vast corporations, Google, Boeing, Deutsche Bank, to name but a few, and ask yourself the question, would the CEO of these vast organizations know and care for each of their employees? It's unlikely, isn't it? And yet, the CEO of the universe knows and cares for you and cares for me. How incredible. You are not alone. You matter to God. In contrast, listen to Richard Dawkins' take on the universe and humanity. He writes, the universe that we observe has no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. Why praise God? David answers, because he cares. And the third reason why we should praise God is because of his creation in verses 5 to 8. We read, Yet you have made him, man, a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honour. And you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet or sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the seas, and whatever passes along the paths of the deep. Verses 5 to 8 are a poetic summary of Genesis 1, 26 to 31. People are made in the image of God, a little lower than Elohim, God, and sometimes translated to supernatural beings, for example, heavenly bodies or angels. People are royalty. They're crowned with God's glory and honour. People are entrusted, given charge over the created order, God's handiwork, domestic animals like sheep and oxen, wild animals, the beasts of the field, birds, fish and sea creatures. 
Man is not alone in the universe. Man is not alone in the world. He is connected to the created world and has responsibility for it. Man's dominion over the earth has been delegated to us by God. The earth does not belong to us by right, but only by favour. The earth belongs to us, not because we made it or own it, but because its maker has entrusted its care to us. We are accountable to God for our stewardship. Since we hold it in trust, we have to manage it responsibly and productively for the sake of both our own and subsequent generations. The fifth of the five marks of mission which the churches of the Anglican Communion are committed to summarises our responsibility to the created order. Anglicans, it says, are to strive to safeguard the integrity of creation and to sustain and to renew the life of the earth. In the world that we live in, We don't see the vision expressed here in Psalm 8 of humanity controlling the whole created order. When we look at the world at this present time, what do we see? A tiny virus, COVID-19, wrecking havoc across the world. In our world, rather than humanity ruling, it seems, doesn't it, that cancer rules? Tragedies rule, tyrants rule. How are we to make sense of this in the light of what it says in Psalm 8? Well, the writer of the Hebrews to Jewish Christians in the New Testaments comes to our help in this regard. In the second chapter of his letter, the Hebrews, he quotes part of Psalm 8. And he draws the conclusion We do not yet see this control over creation, but rather we see one man, Jesus. And because of his death and resurrection, he has been crowned with glory and honour and reigns already over all the created order. Man as such does not yet enjoy the destiny mapped out in Psalm 8, but one man does, Christ Jesus And that gives us, who believe in him, solid grounds for hope in the world that we live in. Why then should we praise God? David asks. One, because of his strength. Two, because he cares. And three, because of the wonder of the created order and our place in it. So in light of these three reasons, how should we respond? The wrapping of this psalm in verses 1 and 9 tells us, why don't we just bow down and say with David, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. Amen.